John chapter 9 tonight, John chapter number 9. And then while you're turning to John chapter 9, let me just say it is good to be home. Great to be back tonight at Campus Church. Um, You know, we have opportunities now to connect and such. And and I know a lot of people have been away and have watched live stream. I just want to say that when Julie and I are away and, and when we are not filling this pulpit, the Lord has so wonderfully... I don't know, provisioned campus church with such a wonderful array of people that can stand, open the book, and say, thus saith the Lord. And they do so with such clarity and insight and power. Um, I think there are people that say, Pastor, you should vacation longer. And so I just thank the Lord for the people that stand here that the Lord's blessed us with. You know, we didn't, we didn't ask anyone from out of town to come in and fill the pulpit. We, we didn't need to do that because the Lord so wonderfully blessed us with people who can stand and do the same. Uh, then, before we jump into John chapter 9, let's segue just a little bit. And um, most of you may have noticed that I have been on vacation for a while. So it's just humorous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state the obvious, you know. It's quite humorous. The first time I, I grew a beard, when I could, you know, I tried when I was 13, but the first time I grew a beard, okay, uh, Julie and I had been on a trip to Israel, and we came back, and it was a, I was with Kurt Skelly, uh, interestingly enough, this was several years ago, came back, and while we were there at the airport, he said, okay, it's a no-shave trip. And I said, wonderful. So, so I didn't shave, and and we got back, and I got back, and I, I showed up at the church, and the choir was rehearsing for something, oh, for a, a Christmas presentation. And I'm standing in the back of the church, and one of the choir members kept kind of staring. In fact, several of them kind of looked, and, you know, they had this strange look on their face, and one of them kept looking, and like, eventually they came up to me, and when they came up, they finally recognized it was me, and they, they thought, who is the hoodlum in the back of the church, okay? When we first got back, I'm walking the dog in the neighborhood, and one of our neighbors um, that's also a church member, um, I saw him coming a ways off, and I just said hey to him. I said, hey, you know, hey, good to see you, and he gave me one of those hey, like I don't know you hellos, all right? So he's kind of like, hey, hey, you know, that, that kind of a deal. And then when you get back and you start interacting with people, like my first day back in the office was yesterday, people don't really know what to say when you just, you grow a beard, you know, come back and you're kind of still in vacation mode. And so some people, they they look at you and they do this. They're kind of at their desk or whatever. It's like, like that, okay? And then some people, they just say, so are we keeping the beard? You know, that's the kind of thing that they say. And then, like even tonight, it was just humorous. Tonight, one of the young guys came out. He stood out there, and I was walking in, and he looks, and he goes like this. He goes, ooh, like that, you know. Um, The interns came into my office. The first intern came, gave me a look and a look, and then he kind of looked away. The second intern that came in looked, and he says, whoa, just like that, okay? Like I scared him or something. Tonight, one of this, this was my favorite statement. Somebody said tonight, um, they said, whoa, whoa. Why did you ruin a perfectly good face? I thought that was a quite, a, quite a statement right there as well. And everybody's kind of laughing and smiling, you know, while they're doing it. And, and it's just something different. Some people say, hey, you're going to keep it, right? And some people say, you're not keeping it, right? 
So they're just differing responses to whatever it is, something simple like this, whatever it is that we're confronted with. While we were on vacation, I was reading devotionally a passage of scripture, and I said when I finished reading the passage, I said I'd sure like to preach on that passage. So tonight we're going to look at a passage that I just read devotionally, and then I studied to prepare this sermon. Now the chapter is a long one, just so you know. So we're going we're gonna to get ready for Sunday night, because Sunday night's a two-hour service. So we're just going to break ourselves in. We're not going to do that, but we are going to take kind of that 30,000 foot view of the passage tonight and not dive in too deeply to any singular thing, but try to look at the passage, the event, the narrative as a whole and draw some conclusions that I trust will be helpful. Now, your Bibles are open to John chapter 9. Tonight, we're going to address what we're going to call the four responses to the working of God. The four responses to the working of God. Now, again, we're going to do this this kind of 30,000 foot view. But to begin this, before we actually see responses to the working of God, let's at least do an introductory look at the disciples' response to the circumstance. Now, they're not responding here to the working of God. They're responding to the circumstance through which God is about to work. So if you don't have your Bible open, the passages tonight, because they are rather full, are only going to be in front of you on, your, on the page in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible handy, maybe lean over and do some eavesdropping on someone else's or get yours out and, and join us in John chapter number nine. Okay, look at John chapter nine, verse number one, and let's see how the disciples begin to respond. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So to begin with, just again by way of brief observation so that we at least, at least acknowledge what it is that the disciples are doing, we see that the disciples are coming from uh, at least a position, theologically speaking, that is a poor view of pain and suffering. Uh, theodicy, that is the, the doctrine or the teaching that tries to give an answer to the problem of pain and suffering. And that's really what the disciples were doing. They're trying to give some answer to this. So it must be that his parents were really problematic because this guy's born blind. And, and they even offer the suggestion, did this man sin? It seems a little foolish to us, doesn't it? Did he sin before he was ever born? And that's the reason for which he was born blind. I mean, how many times do people like you and me ask the question, God, what did I do 
to deserve this. And clearly the, the challenge that I'm in right now, now I'm not saying that we don't get ourselves into challenging circumstances, but every challenge is not because of the problem of our own sin. And the disciples are coming from a wrong position regarding the working of God. This man's blindness was the touch of God in his life. And that touch was neither punitive nor arbitrary. It was, however, part of a plan unknown to anyone but God. And it was a plan intended to bring Christ into this man's life that would produce both praise and glory to God. And we must also know that this was the means by which God would reveal not only his working, but he's going to reveal his perfect timing. Think about the intersection of this man, his blindness, the revelation of who Jesus is. All of these are converging at just the right time. And so God does in our lives as well. You you trace the history of your life you know, the the timeline, so to speak, and the events of your life. And you see God intersecting himself with the circumstances of your life time after time after time, which he's about to do perfectly here. So the disciples hadn't yet understood this man's difficulty was providentially timed to coincide with God's perfect plan. And you and I would do well as we begin this passage of Scripture to know in our lives as well that the challenges of our lives are also perfectly coinciding with the active hand of God in ways that do bring us good and by that bring Him great glory. Okay, well let's begin with the four characters that we're going to look at and let's start tonight with the neighbors the neighbors. So we're, we're, we're not jumping right into the Pharisees, but let's start with the neighbors and notice verse number eight in your Bible, John chapter nine, verse number eight. The neighbors therefore, the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And and I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. I don't know. So this begins the dialogue with this man who had been blind, been born blind, and now he can see. Now, these are the neighbors, and they're the first ones to ask the question, how were you healed? Now, he's going to be asked that question again by another group, and he's going to be asked that question repeatedly by another group. But they're the first ones to say, okay, wow, something has happened here. They even begin by saying, now, now, Is he the guy? And some said, no, 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 he's not the guy. He looks like him. How many of you have ever misidentified someone before? How many of you husbands, have you ever gone up and said, hey, honey, and that's not honey, okay? Okay, that's a serious, uh, you know, serious mistake. But but here, these guys, they're like, oh, oh, uh, he is, 
He's not him because the blind guy is blind and he's not blind. He looks like him. He's some kind of a, for lack of a better term, stunt double, okay? This is not the guy. But finally, he interjects into the narrative and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 I am he. All right, so, so the neighbors. You know, often we ask God something like, how are you going to accomplish this? instead of simply trusting who it is that is doing it. And you know what the neighbors do? They said, how did this happen? Well, I mean, how are you? This guy is blind. How is it that he can see? Do you know the right question for us to ask is not so much the how, which he's going to get asked repeatedly. It is who is it that is doing the working? Have you ever been prone to ask God the question, how are you going to solve this problem? God, I've got a pretty big challenge that's in front of me. How are you going to solve this problem? And we start to, in our human limited mental resource, start to come up with suggestions for God. Well, God, maybe you could do this, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, I I don't know how you're going to accomplish something that, that God, it has to happen. You know, what we should be saying is not how are you going to do this, but who is the one that is responsible to do it? It's kind of like the, 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 the biblical phrase, if God be for us, who can be against us? This is not a statement of God, how are you going to do it? It's just I know the one, I know the who, who is responsible to do it. Now, notice how the man directly answers, you know, the the how are you healed question. This is at the end of verse number 9, beginning of verse number 10. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? How did this happen? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus, he starts with the right who, made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Okay, so that's the neighbors. Now, the neighbors are going to take him immediately to the Pharisees. Let's hold off on the Pharisees momentarily. Let's jump right now to the parents and then we'll, we'll insert the Pharisees in a moment. Let's look right now at the parents. Look down at verse number 18, John chapter 9, verse number 18. Again, the narrative continues. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. Now notice how they shift the narrative or at least the attention of the questioning. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. Now why did they say that? Verse 22 gives us our answer. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he, that being Jesus, was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. By the way, very consequential. This is going to change their potential for livelihood, 
This is going to alter their social standing. This is going to put them in a very difficult cultural position. So they knew we have to be extremely cautious with how we answer. And then verse number 23, again, therefore said his parents, he is of age. Ask him. Now, you and I should pause and at least consider that the miracle that Jesus had performed is unarguable. Do you understand what we're saying? No one can argue at this point because the parents now come in and they testify, yes, we know that this is our son testimony in front of them all. Some are saying, well, we, do, we don't know if he's really the guy that was, no, 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 he's our son. He was born blind. What has happened that a blind man is now seeing is beyond the ability to argue. This is something that is clearly a stated reality. Their son was born blind. Now he could see a miracle beyond debate. It appears that the fear of upsetting their own religious acceptance is what is here at stake. Now, let me say that again. It appears that they're putting their own religious standing at stake. Like, if we say something beyond what are just stating as the facts, he was blind, uh, born blind, we are his parents, now he can see. If we venture into the who and the how, we, we put ourselves and our religious acceptance in peril, in great jeopardy. Verse number 22 again, notice, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Okay, one of the commentaries that I read said this about this specific incident. Such is organized religion. Now, let me back up and just to give quality or qualification, pause if you're reading the statement on the screen right now. He says, such is organized religion. Um, Are we organized at campus church to some degree or another, yes or no? Well, of course the answer is yes. Okay, there is something that the Bible uses as pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this. But when we talk about organized religion, what are we referencing? We're not talking about Christianity that is organized by doctrine and by, by the biblical creeds from which we have derived these truths. We're not talking about the scriptures and the, the doctrine. We're talking about man's religion. And we might even more specifically say those pharisaical traditions that are removed from the practice of Christianity. So let's read a little bit further. Such is organized religion. With the frowns of the religious establishment in view, the parents allowed their joy at their son's healing to be swallowed up by their fear of the reprisals they could expect if they gave verbal credit to Christ. They stand in a very poor light in company with many others who have compromised their testimonies for Christ through fear of the consequences. Oh, wow, that's quite a statement on the parents and how sad it is that they couldn't rejoice with what's taken place to their son because of their fear of the religious, so to speak, establishment. Let's go now to the third group of people, and that is the Pharisees, the Pharisees. 
Notice in verse number 13 is where we'll begin. We, we'll reference them throughout John chapter 9, but notice verse number 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now pause there for just a moment. Verse number 13. They brought the blind man, the one who had been blind, born blind, they brought him to Jesus. So he's there, and then the Bible takes special note to tell us that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. Now, is healing a forbidden practice from the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, yes or no? Well, no. It's, Jesus is not violating the law of Moses. So whose law is Jesus violating? Okay, now he's, he's violating the laws of the, the Jewish tradition, not the law of Moses. Okay, we'll, we'll even explore that a little bit further in just a moment. Okay, do you think it would have been okay for the Pharisees, the Jews, whoever, do you think it would have been okay at least... I don't know, accepted in the sight of God. If someone would have said it like this, oh, Jesus, I'm just going to be truthful with you. I wish you would have healed him on Friday rather than on the Sabbath. But thanks be to God that you healed him. Do you think that would be acceptable in the sight of God? My two cents is amen and amen. Forgive the silliness of this, but is it okay to, again, I'm serious, forgive the silliness of it, but is it okay to have an opinion about somebody's beard, yes or no? Is it okay to have an, opi an opinion? Well, sure it is. But, but is there, in our context, is there necessarily a right or a wrong about it? Is it okay for someone to even express like, oh yeah, I just, I don't, I don't really like them. That's okay. Is it okay for someone to say, listen, I like them, and I like them three foot long? Okay, is that okay? No, that's not. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay as well. Okay, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is oftentimes we try to, I don't know, we try to just throw them completely out. I think it would have been okay because of their history, their tradition, the means by which they're trying to protect the Sabbath. I think it would have been okay. I'm, I'm venturing, and I think, which is dangerous, but I think in the presence of God, it would have been an acceptable conclusion for them to have said, oh, he healed him on the Sabbath. I wish he would have healed him on Friday, but thanks be to God that he healed him. Okay. So let's at least take note of that before we go further with the thoughts of the Pharisees. They brought him to Jesus. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Verse 15. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay on mine eyes and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. Do you know the challenge with the unbelief is they began from a position of unbelief and skepticism. That's, that was their starting point. So, so they begin from a place where they had already drawn their own conclusion. 
They don't begin from a place of, oh, I'm, 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 uh, I've got to take all this in. Like the Bereans who would search the scriptures to see whether or not those things were so. They don't begin there. They begin with their own conclusion. And they've got to do now whatever is necessary to get to their predetermined conclusion. That's a dangerous place for any of us to be. To already say, I already know, I know exactly what, and I'm going to predetermine the working of God. And that's what they had done rather than search the scriptures. They began by attacking his faith they, they, in, the, in the order of the narrative. Then they went on and attacked his family. You know, we're at the beginning of the summer right now. And fairly typical in our culture, in our context, at, at the beginning of a summer, a lot of things happen that pertain to our teenagers, our children. For example, we'll have VBS very soon. Um, um, uh, right now, uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a big camping season. Um, next week, I'd be grateful, by the way, for your prayers regarding this. I know um, Pastor Gorley is going to be preaching at Southland Camp and Boy, is he going this next week? So he heads out this, this Sunday, I think, is, is when he heads out. And, and he'll be at Southland this week, next week. And I'll be in California next week um, preaching for uh, a, a staff and a church out there. I'll be home on, I'll be here on Sundays, but, but I'll be there during the middle of the week. And then the following week, I'll be at Kobiak, Camp Kobiak in Michigan. And then the week after that, I'll be at Teen Extreme. Lots of things happen during the course of the summer. Our teens just got back from a wonderful missions trip to New York City. Have you ever seen a teen come back from camp? Speaking of summer camp. Have you ever seen a teenager come back from camp and they are excited about the working of God? Have you ever seen people kind of stand back with arms folded and, uh, you know, eyebrows furrowed and, and they kind of say, well, we'll just see how long that lasts. Have you ever seen people do that before? It's, it's almost as if we've, we've drawn a predetermined conclusion. And just for what it's worth, camp is, is supposed to be camp, but camp is, is not the regular way of life. In other words, I mean, they're screaming at dinner and and uh, they're, they're diving in mud puddles and, and, you know, they're doing camp stuff, teen stuff. I mean, you dive in the mud puddle at home and mom's going to tan your hide. You know, like, what in the world are you, you know, you just don't do that stuff at home. You do it at camp, right? Um, you know, when you climb a mountain, you experience the mountaintop, but you don't live there. You just take away with you what I glean from the mountaintop. When kids come back, we shouldn't be this proverbial skeptic. That is, you know, arms crossing. Well, we'll just see how long that lasts. We should say, wow, thanks be to God that they now have taken some new steps in their spiritual walk. And their lives are not supposed to look like they, they, they are still at camp. They're just supposed to look like, hey, I, I took some new spiritual truths with me home from camp. And now I want to continue to grow in my walk with the Lord. Do you know what happens here is the... the the Pharisees had this, you know, look of, well, we just, we don't really believe that God is at work. 
Again, they'd come to a predetermined conclusion about the working of God rather than beginning with the seeking of God. Notice where these conclusions take them. Verse number 24. Look down there. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know. Okay, they had already determined. We already know who this person is. He is a do you see the next word? We know. Now, if there's ever been a wrong conclusion, it's right in front of you in that statement. If there's ever been one who drew a conclusion that is inaccurate in, in, in the greatest sense of the word, it is this statement. We know who he is. I'm telling you, he is a wrong conclusion. He's a sinner. We read a little bit further, verse 25. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, what did he do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? There's the how question again. He answered them, I've told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners. Now, this man's teaching the Pharisees. This is the blind beggar that has been blind since birth. Notice how he says, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Verse 32, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Now his parents may have narrowly escaped, but he does not. Again, we take notice that they have come already to their own conclusion. While they give the appearance of investigating what happened, they began with a predetermined conclusion about Jesus and what he had done. Uh, verse number 24, then called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Give him praise. Uh, uh, here's what they're saying. Listen, here's your opportunity. Speak the truth. Do you remember when Joshua went to, Kayla, uh, um, went to Achan and he said, okay, now listen, son, give God glory. Acknowledge, admit what you have done. And here's what they're saying to the, the blind man. They're saying, hey, listen, give God glory. The man that you're trying to give glory is not God. Say the truth. You say what we want you to say. We must be cautious that in our defense of God, we don't draw conclusions on behalf of God that don't accurately reflect him. And that's what the disciple, excuse me, that's what the Pharisees had done. They're drawing conclusions that did not accurately reflect God. They're attempting to build their case on the law of Moses, but sadly, we're only standing on the traditions of men. Notice what Jesus said. If you, if you flip back, you're welcome to do so. I'm just going to reference a couple 
uh, passages, but John chapter 5, verse number 39, this is where Jesus said, search the Scriptures. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then he goes on later in that same passage. He says, do not think that I will accuse you of the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, listen to what Jesus says, had ye believed Moses, the ones that they're claiming, listen, we're Moses' disciples. Had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Well, let's, let's conclude this uh, with by looking at the, the man born blind. The man born blind. As we wrap it up, you know, as we study him throughout this chapter, the one thing that we see is we see this growing awareness of who Jesus is. He starts with these little infant steps and, and he just continues to come with greater clarity, greater vision. He's seeing something that, um, that continues to come more clearly into focus. And the first thing we see is he begins by recognizing Jesus as a prophet. Well, he's a prophet and he says that, John 9, 17. They say unto the, man born, uh, the, the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, but he's a prophet. Okay, he's saying this is one who is sent from God. He's saying something the Pharisees refused to acknowledge. One commentator notes, the man's eyes are opening wider. He is beginning to see still more clearly while the eyes of his judges, ooh, while the eyes of his judges are becoming clouded over with blindness, theological mist. Okay, so he starts by seeing Jesus as a prophet. He continues by recognizing Jesus as powerful. Oh man, he's a prophet. And now he's going a little bit further. He's like, wow, he's powerful. Verse number 25, he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. And then beginning in verse 32, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Listen, since the world began, who can do this kind of stuff? This man is powerful. And then he concludes by recognizing Jesus as the promised one. When the Pharisees cast this man out of the temple, notice both the providence of God and the will of man that came together. And this is, again, it's almost a little aside, but it's so beautifully pictured here. There's continually this debate between the sovereign hand of God and the, the free will of man. Notice how they merge here. It's just, it's beautiful. Verse number 35. If your Bible's open, look at it. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, isn't that beautiful? Here Jesus is, he's like, I'm, I'm going after him. Jesus found him like the lost sheep, so to speak. And then notice the second half, the, the other side of that coin. When he had found him, he said unto him, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus sought him, but he doesn't cause him to believe. He now invites him. He says, do you believe? And notice how he acknowledges this. Verse number 36 he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? We know who he's talking about. He says, do you believe in the Messiah, the promised one? 
the, the one come from God. He says, well, well, who is he that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, this is the second time he so clearly revealed this. Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Our prayer as followers of Christ should always be to see the wonderful working of God as believers personally in our own lives and collectively as the church, the assembled body of Jesus Christ. To do so, we must not begin with our own predetermined conclusion on what that looks like, but instead, as Jesus implored the Pharisees, search the scriptures. And let me state clearly, it's okay for us to have worship preferences, even traditions, so long as we can separate them from our worship priorities, those things that are never movable. Have you ever used the expression, well, what do you know? The disciples knew that this man or his parents' sin had caused his blindness. The parents knew that this was their son, but were not prepared to acknowledge his healing as a great work of God. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was a sinner, that they were right and that he was wrong. But the man who was healed knew one thing for sure. And maybe he was singing a song that was yet to be written. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. May we identify very clearly with one who sees the wonderful working of God.